Blog Talk Radio. J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we are going to have another very interesting show uh, because we have invited to join us for the entire show Dr. Stan Tatkin, who is the author of Wired for Love How Understanding Your Partner's Brain and Attachment Style Can Help You Diffuse Conflict and Build a Secure Relationship. And today, we'll be focusing on another one of his works, Your Brain on Love, The Neurobiology of Healthy Relationships. Another of his books is Love and War in Intimate Relationships, Connection, Disconnection, and Mutual Regulation in Couple Therapy. So as you've been able to deduce, uh, Dr. Stan Tatkin is a doctor of psychology, clinician, researcher, teacher, and has developed a system of integrating the understanding of psychology with the neurobiological or physiological ramifications and correlates. So as many of you know that this is a particularly interesting subject to me and I seek to bring this out so people can get a greater sense of leverage on their emotional and psychological lives by seeing how our expression of emotions, our experience of emotions are affecting our physiology literally all the time from biochemistry, hormones, brainwave activity, and on and on. And uh, Stan, it's really my pleasure to have on today has really delved deeply into this and taken it another step, which is so important, of looking at our own psychology and physiology from the point of view of both couples and families. That will be the subject of today's show. Dr. Stan Tacken, are you on the line? I am. Hi there, Mitchell. Hi. Can you uh, hear me? Pleasure to have you. Oh, great. Yes, your credentials would take half the show. So I'm skipping it. I'll direct people to your wonderful website, and they can learn more about you. I'd really love, Stan, to bear down on the subject of uh, what I think is just also a fabulous name, your brain on love, the neurobiology of healthy relationships. Why don't you take it from the top, if you wouldn't mind, and start to walk our audience through what that means. How does it break down? 
uh, uh, your brain on love? How, what does it mean? Oh my gosh! Well, gee, there's what do we see? Different... I'm yeah. sorry. What do we see when we start to look at a brain, a measured brain, when someone is experiencing love? I don't even want to say in love. I that's another specialty, but just experiencing what they would call love. Well, there's many, there are many, many different types of love. So exactly. let's just start with let's just start with infatuation. So uh, Helen Fisher, uh, who is uh, a wonderful biological anthropologist out of New York, has done some great studies on this. And the uh, the, the 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 infatuated brain is basically on drugs, um, uh, on a cocktail of drugs. And these drugs include dopamine and noradrenaline, but also also testosterone, which testosterone um, is a a, a great um, driver uh, in the area of sexuality, but also um, tends to skew our judgment, which is why the infatuated love is nature's way of, of getting us hooked up and procreating, but it's not necessarily the way to be in a long-term relationship. Um, uh, so we're on the in other words, it's not, sus- it's not a sustaining hormone, but it's great for the initial blast for courtship. It's great for the initial block. The, th- this cocktail, um, uh, you know, which includes many more uh, hormones and neurotransmitters, really gets us to do things we ordinarily can't do and probably won't do in another few months if we're still with that person. Um, uh, and this is nature's way, again, of pushing us towards uh, procreation. Uh, nature doesn't really care about long-term relationships. Um, uh, anthropologically, there have been some studies that suggest that humans are um, uh, you know, sort of wired for a four-year cycle of, uh, of you know, procreating um, being together to raise a child and then moving on and mixing up the gene pool. This uh, this is Robert Sapolsky's work, um, and so uh, so that's that's pretty much nature's plan. Then we have our plan, <laughs> and yeah, our plan right. is quite uh, quite different because we live longer today than ever before, and uh, and people want meaning and they want to stay together and they want um, some of the ideals that come from. Um, religious ideas and from uh, decades ago, some some of the um, moral ideas that we've had. And people are pretty much lost, I think, in terms of how to stay together over the long run. There are also other aspects that are biological in nature, too, though, Stan, such as the continued release of oxytocin. Well, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that known, of course, as the love hormone, but also has many binding bonding properties so in a sense as we form i've been enjoying your work immensely by the way as we form this notion of sure of one nervous system so to speak with one's uh one's partner lover or spouse what have you uh that unification sort of does argue for greater longevity does it not well, it does. Uh, you know, uh, Harville Hendricks and others have talked, John Gottman have talked about this, that the, the couples that do stay together, that find um, a kind of mature love that, uh, that sustains over the lifetime, um, neurochemically these people are expressing some of the same 
drugs that are found in the uh, in the first part of courtship. Courtship, but, right? But but there's a, a different level here. There's much more serotonin, more oxytocin, more vasopressin uh, for the male, um, and. Um, and oxytocin is not so much the love or bonding drug as it is the um, being still without fear drug. <laughs> and uh, oh. it allows us to, to remain quiet and still um, without movement um, and without fear um, more than anything else. But these, these, are, these also are involved in, in, in bonding, but there, there are also many parts of the brain that are involved in bonding as well. And so the, the, this business of people being able to stay together over the long period really requires um, a mixture of, uh, of capabilities and, uh, and abilities between partners, one of which is to regulate each other's nervous system, to be able to mm-hmm. regulate threat and a distress, and to be able to minimize or foreshorten those those uh, emotional states, and to maximize positive feeling. That's one very very important uh, thing that will determine whether a couple can stay together. Another is that they understand where they come from and how they're wired from childhood and what their movements are likely to be, and this understanding gives way to acceptance of the other person as they are and. And also, mm-hmm. hopefully, an ability to know how to manage that person in the best way. Um, and so that's the other factor, is that people know who they are, where they come from, why they are what they are. They know their partner uh, in a similar fashion, and they know how to work each other properly. Um, mm-hmm. Those two are extremely important. And I would say the third thing is that uh, that uh, uh, that people understand the primacy of this of this uh, relationship that becomes either a romantic long-term relationship or some other relationship where there is uh, strong mutual ties of dependency. And that is that uh, these uh, systems don't tolerate thirds coming in and, and, and subjugating the other to or relegating the other to second or third place. Um, in other words, the primary attachment yeah. system requires that both people understand it's primary. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now, you that, that's very helpful. Thanks for, for laying that out. You, in your work, uh, take another step relative to some form of kind of generic typology of uh, labeling people such as islands or right. waves or anchors, understanding that each of us is all of them, depending on context, as well as, you know, original family environment. Um, I find that to be a very helpful uh, piece, a point of leverage in understanding the way we interact with each other. Could you lay that out for our audience? Sure. These these labels really are um, are, uh, underneath, underneath the hood, so to speak, are more yeah. um, uh, techie and uh, you know technical and, and not so pretty um, uh, labels. But um, yeah. island anchor and wave. This has to do with the 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 way we adapt to our childhood culture, and that culture is either focused centered on relationships coming first or not. And the the Family cultures where the parents focus on relationship first 
and that are that are fundamentally these systems are fundamentally based on fairness and justice and sensitivity to the child. Um, these children uh, grow up. We call them anchors. Um, they're people who are relatively secure in their primary relationships, which means they have resources to develop, resources to do things in the world um, better, and they're more resilient um, in terms of their health. They're better at getting along with the most number of people. And so we call them anchors because they're accustomed to having a secure base with another person and their autonomy without losing either. Then we have everything other than that. It sounds like they're very adaptive to context. They're very adaptive and fluid because they have a, a strong tether to another person that is secure. They're not anxious about that relationship. Yes. That, that, that relationship is anxiety-free, which gives them a lot of resources to use elsewhere, um, including their bodies. So sure. they're, you by make... definition, they're just better off. Do you make correlations, Stan, between the work you're doing in the interface of neurobiology and psychology, couples therapy, some of the theories in the field, and psychoanalytic thinking? For instance, I'm thinking as you're discussing developing a secure relationship with, let's just say, one's mother, that brings forth the older ideas of object relations theory, that the infant develops a healthy bonding with the mother through her breast and through nurturing and nursing and nourishment, as an right. example. Do you so that go that far or not necessarily? Yeah, Melanie Klein. I'm sorry, so what? That goes back to Melanie Klein, the good breast and the bad breast. Surely. And, exactly. uh, and, and part objects. And... Um, I find that attachment theory fits beautifully with object relations in psychoanalytic theory. Um, mm -hmm. The difference is that attachment uh, theory, I think, is a little bit more elegant in one sense, that when it comes to a two-person psychological system, which is a couple, it is much more fluid and less path pathologically focused than uh -huh. psychoanalytic theory. Nice. So for yes. couple therapists, I find that attachment theory um, gives the therapist a much greater theater, of a platform in which to view partners in a more naturalistic way and not so much in a pathological way. However, um, it is, I think, important that uh, therapists have these other models uh, uh, also integrated so that they can call on them when needed. Got it. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Thanks for yeah. that elucidation. So, yes, yeah. please go on. So, We've looked at the anchor, he or she who is resilient, was well-loved as an infant and child, had a sense of primacy in the family, and then... Yes. And, and, yeah. and the, the main thing here, too, is that the parent or the caregiver was consistent and present. Um, yes. So, and then we have everything other than that in all different shades um, and and uh, and tones. Um, so at the far far end, of one end of the insecure spectrum is the island, and the island um, also was well loved um, in a lot of ways. But the family culture focused on performance, on appearance, on independence, and and on um, on the self, 
And so this turned out to be uh, an experience repeatedly that had too much unfairness, injustice, and insensitivity in the interactions. And this leads then to a child who spends a little bit too much time on her own, learns to stimulate herself, soothe herself a little too much, um, doesn't like to be interfered with, um, overvalues independence, in fact, thinks of herself as more independent than she really is, um, doesn't like to be approached when not, um, not wanting to be, which is a lot, um, and, and basically uh, believing that nobody else can do it better than him. Um, he's the do-it-yourself person. And so we have this person appropriately called Island who looks like they don't need relationship. They do, but their fear, based on their experience, is that once they get into a relationship, once that relationship becomes uh, permanent, they will experience the same thing they did in their childhood, which is they will lose their self. Um, and they, uh, that's the huge fear for the island. I will lose myself, my independence, and, um, and also I have a hard time staying in contact with others without having to retreat and soothe myself and, to, uh, and excite myself. So these are the problems that the island faces um, going into a relationship. Um, now, when you I'm, say excite yourself and self-stimulation, people could easily think that you're referring to that in kind of a sexual uh, way. Right. But maybe yeah. you could clarify for our audience that while it might include that, it's actually in no way really what you're referring to when you speak no, about no. self-excitement right, right. or arousal. But you're, it's, it's, what it's are you talking about? It's self-care because people are just too difficult yeah. for me. Um, I, I begin to experience too much interpersonal stress, so I retreat to excite myself through movies, television, um, computers, work, alcohol, drugs, um, uh, any number of things, exercise. It doesn't matter. It's just it's, these are alone experiences without the, uh, the stress, the muss and fuss of another person. Of other, and, right. So it's self, right. self-amuse, you could say, self-entertain. Self-entertain, um, but what's very important here is that the way this is done is, uh, is in a very low-resourced um, way where the person kind of goes into a dreamlike state um, where other people don't exist for a while. And, um, and this is very then relaxing because it's familiar. It's a familiar feeling. Um, and, and partners will misunderstand this as unloving and that the person doesn't want to be with them when actually it's a stress problem. Um, the person walks away. In fact, the island has um, a, basically a narrative inside that says it would be so nice if you just uh, went away, um, which is very shame, uh, you know, shame-bound for that person because they know that's not right. Um, they think that's unloving, too. But really what it is is that the person is feeling too much stress. They like it when the other person goes away because they can then uh, reset and go back to their early state, which is one of auto-regulation, uh, self-stimulation, self-soothing. That's it. It's but not about love. That, it's really very biological. Pardon? But underneath that, is there not some sense, then, of uh, of fear of rejection, I hear you basically, of being rebuffed, of being rejected, of being dismissed, of yeah, and underneath yeah. that, someone not feeling then ultimately that they're worthy of love and that they're lovable. 
wouldn't you say that that kind of overlay of fear um, is what informs the stress? On both sides of the spectrum, one side being distancing, the other side being clinging, distancing the island, clinging the wave, on both sides of the spectrum, at the bottom is a feeling of not want, being wanted and being good enough and being loved mm-hmm. for who, who I am. That's right. the unfairness and justice and insensitivity of that culture. And that's yeah. why I say they act differently, they behave differently, but at the bottom they operate uh, in a manner that, uh, that is similar to the way they were raised which is a one-person yeah. system, good for me and doesn't have to be good for you. Well, there's, you could say there's some sense, some degree of resignation that has occurred. After all, biologically, we are social beings, social yeah. animals, beings. So if someone is withdrawing from that biologically programmed system, it's because there's something wrong. There's something that, uh, a, a game they're not so ready to play. I think there are several things going on here because we should also talk about the wave, but there's several things going on here with the island. Um, one is a respite, uh, a way of downregulating. Another is, is a feeling of not being able to manage another person for fear that uh, if they are who they are really in life, the other person mm-hmm. will leave them. And um, mm-hmm. so as an island, if you knew all the things I think about and all the secrets I have and all the ways I keep myself safe, you would probably leave me. And that mm-hmm. is terrifying for the island. So yes, there's fear of rejection. Rejection and, uh, and dismissal and, and also disapproval. So, yes. so life is not so easy for the island. Um, even though they look like life is easy for them, they look like they're actually doing great. Um, life is actually quite hard for them mm-hmm. um, be- because yeah, they're, they're the loneliest of the creatures, uh, the loneliest of, of the group um, yes. of these three. And, um, and, the, and actually, uh, despite their hatred of neediness, the most needy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Sure, because it's a ultimately it's a projection, and it's a it's a cover up is what it is, and we all do it, no matter who we, we all, are. We in all the do game. it, and and yeah. and basically we're. Uh, I think your listeners should probably uh, keep in mind that we're we're basically memory machines. Ninety nine percent of us uh, of our brain is devoted to automation, and mm-hmm. we act. Um, every day, all day, automatically according to what we know. And what we know is what we've experienced, and that's really about as fancy as it gets, that we're operating on memory. Um, All the time we're being driven that way. And the smart part of us really doesn't have a lot to say about that much of the time. We're just doing what we know to do, and that's nature. Yes, yes. Right, it's it's you know you can understand it from a biological and adaptive perspective as well. Um, yes. Although as long as one of those inner resources is imagination, you know, right. for yeah. adaptive purposes, yeah. Anyway, but there please, is hope. Is, uh, there is hope for for Go these ahead. two. Um, that's why couple relationships. You know, we're hurt by by relationships. We're healed by relationships. Um, sure. People do come out of these. Um, of these extremes and into the middle where they can enjoy secure functioning in their lifetime. And that's what we're about here is not so much the labeling and 
I think it's important for people to understand where they come from and how how they tend to behave reflexively in relationships because that gives them, I think, a leg up in handling relationships. But um, this is not a death sentence. This is just uh, a self-knowledge, a knowledge of another person on the way towards a secure functioning relationship, and that's really important. It's a point of departure, you could say. Let's let everybody know that we are uh, speaking with Dr. Stan Tatkin, the author of a number of books and CD sets. Uh, today we're focusing on your brain on love, the neurobiology of healthy relationships that uh, was published actually by Sounds True, a six CD set that you'll find very fascinating. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. If you are not receiving our newsletters just yet, just go to our website, www.abetterworld.tv abetterworld.tv and sign up for it and pass it on to your friends and uh, family so more and more people can get the benefit of these shows and uh, this kind of material. So, Stan, please uh, please carry on then. We have The Wave, do we not? The Wave. The Wave is on the other side of the spectrum, the clinging side. And uh, The Wave comes from a family background where one parent at least needed the wave to regulate himself or herself emotionally. And so uh, whereas the other side of the spectrum, the island, had to regulate one or both parents, uh, their self-esteem, on the wave side it's regulating the emotional state. And so here you have a parent or parents that are emotionally um, uh, childlike, that are that reward dependency, reward the child for being uh, cute and small, and to cling. Um, however, there's an inconsistency with this parent who's often uh, distracted and preoccupied and very times um, angry about his own life circumstance and unfairness and injustices. And this uh, then trains the a child on this end of the spectrum to be a caregiver. And in this uh, area, many times there, there are problems of role reversal where the parent actually uses the child as, a, as a, uh, an adult figure um, and overshares or in some other ways co-ops the child um, to use them as a regulator of the emotions. So this mm-hmm. child... Um, grows up thinking that he's very good at relationships. Um, However, like the island, he's really not that good. Um, The problem with the wave is that they're very um, angry about the inconsistency, about the parental um, preoccupation. And the parent is sometimes there and very loving and sometimes very rejecting and very angry. And the child experiences this as punishing. And so you have this moving forward and pushing away. Um, This is the movement of the wave. I move forward towards you, and then I push you away. As soon as I feel hopeful about our relationship, I begin to get very anxious and very angry. I'm uh, I'm almost allergic to hope because I I start to um, experience, remember what will happen, and that is I will be dropped. So I believe as a wave that I'm too much, I'm too needy, I'm too emotional. Um, Nobody can really... um, put up with me. I want too much. And I'm angry because I feel like I've been giving too much. I'm always giving. It's always going in one direction, never in the other direction. And so whereas, whereas, the, uh, whereas the island takes care of himself or herself and auto-regulates, 
the wave takes care of himself or herself by externally regulating. In other words, I take care of you. This is the old codependent model. I, you know, mm-hmm. focus on you. I take care of you. But I'm very angry inside because I don't get my needs met. Or sure. I expect you to take care of me all the time, and I don't do anything for you. So that can go in either direction, but it's always one way, always one direction. Yes. So there um, could be and, easily resentment that builds up in this. And the because of the inconsistency, emotional inconsistency that one experienced in infancy slash childhood, uh, yes. one is, in a sense, predisposed for expecting that unconsciously to show up again in yes. uh, adult relationships. Well, again, we're, we're memory machines. We operate by memory. Forgive us if we... Uh, if that lower part of our brain, that automatic brain, recognizes something and knows what's going to happen next, and we act on it, that's what happens. I've seen this before, I know what it is, and then I do something right away. And that's what we're all doing all the time. Yes. We're, we're acting but based again, on what we have experienced. There's an unconscious aspect to it, too, because, as you say, we are memory machines. That's a well put phrase uh but we all we also work i should say as psychobiological cycles if you will so what happened at one point in the uh one of the studies i've engaged in over the years is something called total biology and we've seen this show up and again and again when there's a been either an emotional or a physical trauma um that it will repeat at a certain stage, a very specific stage in a person's life that's a a function of the age at which it happened in the first place. So if somebody was uh, lost their dog, let's just say at age four, they can have some kind of recurrence at age eight or 16 or 32, something of that sort. And they may not know exactly what it's from, but if you do the arithmetic and you go back and look, you will see that there's a correlation between the the dates and the ages of the trauma, sometimes right. to the day, by the way. You, you also, interesting, uh, the ages you brought up are all ages, too, when we have these brain upgrades um, at around oh. eight. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, uh, in mid-adolescence, yeah. mid we have brain upgrades where there is a uh, a revisiting of our past, uh, sort of a 360 reviewing of our lives um, really? as we go into this, this brain upgrade. Whenever we get a brain upgrade, we tend to get depressed and very anxious um, <laughs> um, because we, we, we know more, we see more, and, and we wish we could go back and, and, and uh, into the carriage, into the baby carriage. Um, uh, that's an interesting thing you brought up at those ages. Yeah. But, yeah, there's, there's the, this recapitulation thing. Um, yes, yes. Uh, 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 but again, I, I think you and I probably are saying the same thing when we talk about the automatic brain. We really are talking yes. about the unconscious, um, yes. which, is, which is the lower limbic areas of the brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right, that's right, that's right. So how then do you, since these labels are, as you said well, Stan Tatkin, a point of departure in effect for developing you know healthy happy ongoing relationships as you well put it in your uh, in your writing that you know we're not even though 
sometimes a one-night stand might sound like a good idea. That's not really the way we're positioned culturally, and we're really looking for long-term relationships that are full of love and full of well-being and a sense of support and security. Uh, Where do we go from here with there being, you know, the orientation, say, of an island and a wave and an anchor? Where then? Um, It does not matter in our view, um, and when I say our view, I'm talking about uh, PACT, the organization, the the, uh, institute that... uh, um, that I, I train uh, students that you with. Found uh, yes. under, yeah. Um, uh, that we do not believe that whether you're an island or, or, or a wave, it doesn't really matter. It, it really doesn't. That everybody sure. can enjoy um, a secure functioning relationship. Secure functioning yes. relationship is not about personality. It's about uh, it's about principles. Um, based on what's good for me and good for you. Think of it as being in a foxhole together and uh, rather than in separate foxholes. People make agreements to protect each other in a very special way from the outside elements, and they do so um, because they can. They decide that they can. Um, And so they make certain agreements that should have happened in childhood based on fairness and justice and sensitivity. They do it because they can and the alternative isn't good. So we know that people can do this who come from all sorts of backgrounds, no matter what kind of background, because we see this um, in military and paramilitary organizations, police department, fire department, um, where the, the culture insists that people look out for each other, that partners um, their lives depend on their, uh, you know, their uh, taking care of each other. Um, they're the go-to people. I mean, these people become so very, very close that their relationships many times um, override their marriages um, because they are really secure functioning. They depend on each other. They look out for each other. They watch each other's backs. This is the kind of thing that uh, romantic couples can and should do. As well. Interesting. What do you mean override their marriages? Well, because these these um, become primary. They're, uh, for instance, uh, partners in a, in a police car um, to police officers. Oh, I see what you mean. Right. Um, yeah. They're bond because of the time they spend, and the, and they tell each other everything. They're the first to know everything. They are, in fact, primary attachment figures, and yes. many times uh, because of that, their their other relationships suffer because of it. Yes, I understand, um, because the primacy is being shared, and it's really not a shareable position. Not really. Yeah. yeah. Not, not really. No, you're we're, we're, being very clear. And if you don't know that, just go try. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're dyadic creatures, and um, we, we, you know, our thing is pair bonding. We're very, the dyad is very strong in the human wiring. Um, and so... Uh, so I, I think um, people understanding and respecting the biology uh, that is the human, understanding that ev- that people are basically difficult. There is no such thing as a, a person who's not difficult on the planet, um, and that uh, and that uh, it's it's a survival thing. Um, that uh, people taking care of each other 
um, agree to do this because it's a burden to do that. It's a burden to, to take care of another person, to be responsible for their past, to be the person who soothes them, to excite them, to calm them, to be able to um, handle them properly. To be able to do that for each other is gold, platinum. And nobody else wants that job. Um, yes. And so people do it because they can and because the alternative isn't, isn't very good. You know, it's very pick interesting. pick wisely. Pick wisely, too. We pick, well, they pick wisely, but they pick, you know, it's interesting because all you need is somebody who's willing to play the game with you. Um, yes. Uh, yes. We, we tend to pair bond correctly. Um, our brains do not like too much of a stranger uh, uh, coming into our lives. We don't. Pick mm-hmm. strangers that are too stranger-like. We pick familiar, and um, there's a strangerness to that familiarity, but still they're familiar. We recognize something in that other person when we pair bond with them. The rest of it is. But how about culture, for that matter? What yeah. about people from, let's say, a Western culture and an Asian, or you know, where or of that sort? What do you find with? cultural mixes from this point of view i see lots of those i get to you know i see lots of cultural mixes and believe it or not they too on a certain level recognize each other despite the fact that there are cultural differences and um but there but there are wild cultural differences in the united states um yes uh, uh where people just do it this way and we always do it that way and so there are to be sure it, it seems stranger when people, you know, pair bond from uh, from China and uh, and and then you know um, Spain, uh, but those people mm-hmm. still still recognize each other on a psychobiological level. They still do. Yes, and yeah, no, it's fascinating to think about. There are certain you could say through lines of human typology and just uh, the gene pool overall. Um, not to mention if you go another level and start right. to look at uh, deeper than personality on the level of essence or even soul nature, not to go yes. too far afield, it, there's a whole domain or two that open up where there can be nonverbal, non-cultural recognitions of each other. Yes, absolutely. Would you um, say? Yeah. Absolutely. Please I, go on. And I'd, I'd say one of those, the things that, that bridges uh, all of that is kindness. Um, yes. Kind, kindness and I like friendliness, that. I think, bridges uh, bridges everybody. Um, yes. And kindness that's actually and one of the things too in relationships. Pardon? Yeah. Kindness and res- I added respect to that mix. Um, yeah. And one of the other points that you bring up here, uh, not to detour you, and I want you to go back to whatever you were saying that you want to finish the point on, but I do want to bring to bear something that you do discuss which is the importance of apology and forgiveness in the yes. sustenance of a yeah. relationship. Please. Yeah, if we go back to, you know, to many, many models of development, uh, Winnicott um, being one, yes. uh, the issue, uh, this goes also back to Klein, the issue of repair. Um, when, repair, when we, right. Um, um, this goes all the way back to the infant, uh, ch- you know, the infant uh, caregiver relationship. The infant care relationship is a process of, of error, uh, errors and error correcting. It's finding the baby, mm-hmm. losing the baby, finding the baby, losing the baby. And, mm. and 
the you know uh, the we lose each other all the time. We make more mistakes in interactions than we do um, well. We make more errors all the time. Right. Um, but so the things we the, do correctly. <laughs> right, I know. But, but, I'm reminded but, often, and I see it in my <laughs> own practice. <laughs> but 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 love really is not in the losing, or the loss of love is not in the losing. It's in the refinding. So I refined yes. you. I error correct. I apologize. I repair. I fix. I put it back together again. And my doing that over and over again is what makes the relationship secure. It's my willingness to do that and your willingness to do that as an adult mm-hmm. um, um, that makes our relationship secure. And mm-hmm. so, th- so making mistakes is what we're going to do. Being stupid is what we're going to do. Uh, stepping Part on each other's course. toes is what we're going to do. Um, acting like jerks is what we're going to do. But mm-hmm. that's not a, that's not the problem. The problem is that people do take too long to fix it. Either they don't notice that they've broken something, or they take too long. And it should never take longer than thirty five, forty minutes, um, uh, uh, you know, for people to come back together and, yes. uh, in some way, just make it right. And so that's easily yes. done. It's not curing cancer. It's not fixing the problem. It's just we're okay. Um, yes, yes, and uh, that would be the I think the the biggest takeaway uh, from today. Hopefully, <laughs> is that yeah. Oh, I think that's that powerful. Directly. It's uh, you know reminds me of the uh, old Jewish idea of tikkun olam, which means oh. repair the world, right? Yes, yes. And it's this beautiful idea that's expressed on the macro level, but every bit as much. It's in the micro level of the home and the right, couple. Yes. yes. And friends. You know, it goes on and on. It's not at all limited. And if you do that, you take care of what happens in the home and uh, with what we call in Chinese the mishpucha, then you're mishpucha. going to have a world where that works. You'll have a world that works. It just happened with me this morning with my daughter. We got into a fight and we just fixed it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and because in this house, how did you we know, uh, how did by, you if I may ask, uh, by going in and uh, and apologizing to her, and and, and uh, uh, that I lost my temper, I was very sorry, and that she apologized yes. to me for what. Okay, so, um, but it's putting it back together so we don't spend the day suffering. Right, exactly. Do you have, have you developed uh, some kind of mechanism or technique uh, or exercise? that helps people recognize that they have been annoying or have erred <laughs> and uh, that gives them kind of a stepping stone stand to come back together that declaring this is a time to repair everybody <laughs> let's get back on the same page well i think i think it's important um to, this this may be a roundabout way of answering the question but i think it's important mm-hmm for people to know that when when attachment relationships are broken, when there's a breach in that system, um, we don't breathe as well, we don't, um, we don't concentrate as well, our day doesn't go very well, and mm. we become the insecure baby who flops around and is accident-prone because all of our resources are being used by the break. And, um, and so nothing is gained, actually, during the time, the delay, between injury and repair, the only thing that happens is more threat. The more time we take to repair an injury, 
the more threatening we become and the more dangerous the relationship becomes. That's all. And also the more ill we become because we're, we're spending a lot of very expensive resources and chemicals that eat away at our brain cells and bodily cells and make us sicker down the line. So there's really no upside to it. Um, the point at which people can think, which is about 30 minutes, 35 minutes after getting very aroused, very excited, very upset, um, mm-hmm. is the point at which they can decide what they're going to do. If they choose to carry on um, and keep a distance, then it's pretty much um, purposeful. Um, then it's being done mm-hmm. purposefully. Um, uh-huh. but, but there is uh, another problem here, and that is our brains are built more for war than love. So we are more uh, uh, likely to remember negative experiences than positive ones. That's sure. just in order to stay alive. We have a the bias. Longer it takes, the longer it takes for me to repair an injury with you, the more likely that memory, that experience will go into long-term memory. And now I'm going to have to deal with that for a long, long time. If I want to <laughs> yeah. keep that from going into long-term memory, I fix it fast and it's not remembered. Mm-hmm. So we have a memory uh, thing here, too, the reason to fix things quickly so the other person will not bring it up two years from now. Yes, exactly. It won't go into long-term memory. There I'm you laughing, go. but I'm laughing and I'm also crying. But no, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean because that is a very serious issue. <laughs> so. It is, and many times I hear people saying, oh, my God, won't she just forget that time at the, at the bridge? You know, why shouldn't you let that go? Right. And I want to say, right. dude, you made the memory. That's right. <laughs> you made the memory. You etched it into the neural web. Yes, yes. You took right. too long to fix that thing. Right. Now you brought something else up that I think is a very important, which is when you were referring, Stan, to the uh, foxhole and yeah. that there are agreements that yeah. people in the foxhole make with each other. And you also said that there are principles could yes. you go on about that? Because I think we're hovering also around the notions of values, shared values, yes. shared uh, future direction, right. as well yeah. as meaning. Yeah. I, you know, if, uh, again, just going to the animal world, um, uh, one yes. of the reasons that animals pair bond is to protect uh, from predators. And humans should think the same, um, that yes. we pair bond largely to protect ourselves from the outside environment, that yes. nobody's going to care about us as much as we care for each other by agreement, um, except for our parents, perhaps. Uh, but mm-hmm. th- these, um, these are uh, ideas based on survival that we watch each other's back, that we protect each other in public and in private, that we have a tether to one another. We can contact each other whenever we want during any time of the day because we are allowed to do that. Nobody else else can do that. That gives mm-hmm. us a sense of security in the world. Um, we, put, uh, we put each other to bed at night. We wake up together in the morning as much as we can because nighttime and mm-hmm. morning are the most vulnerable times for adults and children. Um, yes. We... Uh, we don't allow thirds uh, and third things uh, such as uh, work, alcohol, drugs, children, uh, in-laws, and so on, exes, to intrude on uh, on our couple bubble unless we allow them in. Um, and so we're king and queen or generals. Um, we're the top of the food chain. Uh, we're the roof of the house. 
and everyone depends on our fidelity together, our ability to take care of each other. If we fail at that, everyone around us and under us suffers. And so the principle here is really two people acting as a two-person system based on true mutuality where they're taking care of each other, um, mm-hmm. where they're looking out for each other. Now, the matter of change and development, and I want to live in New York and you want to live in Los Angeles, um, there's always going to be something that appear like deal breakers to a couple. And some may be actual deal breakers. Um, that can happen. I've decided I want children, and you definitely don't. That may be a deal breaker. But many of, of, of the things that we go through, uh, where we have to make decisions um, to make each other happy, uh, are arguments worth having based on um, that we are not leaving each other. In other words, we're holding each other in, we're not going anywhere, and you're going to hear about this, and I'm going to argue with this, and I'm going to try to bargain uh, a way to get this to be good for you and me. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is that um, being coupled is a pain in the ass, and, yes. and, and it, it takes an understanding that there's a reason why we do it, there's a purpose to it, the service that we provide one another, and, um, and we have to work it out in some way. Uh, couples yes. that do that and hold together um, find a way, a creative way to, uh, to, uh, to make it good for both people. But it's creative. It takes a two-person system thinking, um, and it takes that idea of we're tied together um, and, uh, and any threat to the relationship is off the table. We're not going to go anywhere. This is a hard thing for people to swallow, yeah. especially in a world where people, uh, you know, break up very easily. Of such um, great transience, yeah. 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 But if you look at in other, other words, countries... A, you're saying that there's a fundamental assumption made that we're going to work this out. And that's true up to a point where, as you said, there could be a deal breaker where you say, you know, we're agreeing to agree that this is not solvable, the problems or the issues that we're facing, whether it's geography or others, uh, it's not overcomable. And then they agree to do whatever they do. But Maybe. I'm sorry, maybe. I, I've, I've come across a lot of deal breakers where, where couples, um, in holding them to the deal breaker, which is very depressing and very anxiety-provoking, um, many, many, many couples find um, beautiful ways of creatively solving the problem. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yes. it's under the pressure uh, that's put under the, uh, put them under pressure in therapy. The uh, regular folks don't have that pressure, and so they may not be able to figure something out. But I want to make another point, and that is if you look at other countries where they don't have it so good as we do, and some of these areas are war-torn, um, the relationships are much tighter there. And, again, that may go to that aspect of the police department, the fire department, the soldiers in the war field, and that people who mm-hmm. really get that they, um, that they are um, they're bonded together to protect themselves from the outside um, don't really engage as much in, in, in fanciful <laughs> ideas about uh-huh. this or that. They get it. And it may be that in our, you know, in our world where we're, um, we're free to uh, imagine a lot of things, we're not, and uh, God forbid, we're not at war. Um, we don't have to worry about dangers constantly uh, uh, you know, outside uh, our door. Uh, even though they are yeah. there, we're not really aware of them. 
Um, and we have the luxury of thinking about all this stuff. Um, yes. But there is something to be said for people who really get it, that the purpose of, of pair bonding, um, it's more than just love. It's more than just because our parents said so. Um, uh, the, the people have to be able to answer the question, why are you together? What's the point? What do you serve? And why, why are you even doing it? Why not just hire somebody to do this? If they can't answer that question, I think they're in trouble. Yes. That's a really interesting, very concrete way of framing it, Stan. And I, yeah. you know, I heard it in your CD, and I'm hearing it again from you now in stereo. And it's a very interesting <laughs> thing. We don't think of that. You know, uh, could I hire this service out? Or sure. is there something unique and particular in our bond that I want to preserve because it's preserving? Right. And... It appears that this takes what you would refer to as romance out of the picture, but it doesn't have to, because no. I, I, you know, I, in my work in couples counseling, I bring it back because it's so juicy to have it present, and you and I know what it does physiologically to have yes. romance and love and laughter and humor and smiling and and affection in a relationship. Yeah, that has, has to, to be, be there. there so. uh, there's yeah. no question yeah. also that we need touch. Another study came out about the importance of touch in, in relationship. Yes. Um, um, so touch, affection. Even for and, islands? And, Even for uh, islands? For, uh, for, absolutely for islands. They need it. They just can't stand it if it's, it lasts too long. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but absolutely. <laughs> Um, um, the, there's exciting love and there's quiet love. Exciting love is is eye to eye, face to face. It is uh, this dopaminergic surge that happens between two brains that amplify each other's state, and we get excited and we feel, uh, uh, you know, we can do that through going, you know, on vacation. We can do that through eye to eye, and then there's quiet love of repose, of gazing into one another's eyes, and just sort of losing ourselves and in a quiet yes. state, quiet but alert state. Couples who can mm -hmm. do that are also going to do very, very well. Yes. Right. It's a very good indicator. It's a very, very good, good indicator. Yeah. Indicator. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've got to tell you, I, I, I love your work, Stan. I think it's a real <laughs> tremendous contribution to the field and most importantly to people and helping people live their lives to the point that I was musing before the interview that you're comment about everyone is annoying should have the status of Buddha's eightfold path that life is <laughs> suffering. You know? Everyone is annoying. Everyone, everyone is, is annoying and there's no way to escape it, folks. <laughs> no, no. And there's no such thing as a low-maintenance person up close. Ah, anybody, who right. seems, anybody who seems yeah. low-maintenance will, will stop being that in another year or two. Um, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. people are high maintenance. So that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. Exactly. The further down you dig and get into the the underbelly of the psychology, that's what shows up. There's right, no that's question. What shows up. There's no question. There's no question about it. Uh, if, you, if you don't well, want listen, that, you're a pet. That's right. I'd love to have you back on again to discuss your other works, uh, sure. Wired for Love, because. As you well put it, we are biased. The brain, the nervous system, is biased for war, conflict, yeah. 
and negativity, which I would hope would give us greater um, leverage in resolving those matters easily, but I haven't (laughs) found that just yet. Um, But uh, also, you know, your book on the role of war and peace, if you will, uh, in relationship. I'd love to, when we have more time, revisit those with you. Thank and, you. Uh, open those up. Sure, absolutely. Why don't you give your website out and uh, you know we'll uh, have you sure. It's it's another it's, time. it's, uh, it's com and there people can find uh, interesting articles and uh, if they're so inclined, uh, uh, people who are not therapists, but people who are therapists can also find ways to get into training. Um, we're, we have pro- programs all around the country and out of the country training therapists in this work. Oh, excellent. That's great. And the name of your training institute is? Is PACT, a psychobiological approach to couple therapy. Short, ter- short word for that is P-A-C-T, PACT. Wonderful. Dr. Stan Tatkin, thank you again for being on A Better World with me today. And, it was a pleasure. Uh, good. You're really making help it to be a better world. Thank Thank you. Best of health to you. Thank you. You too, and Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes, indeed. That's rich, rich material Dr. Stan Tacken brought to us. And if you go to our website, www.abetterworld.net.tv, both of them actually, uh, you can see this week's newsletter, the New Year's newsletter from A Better World, and all of Stan Tacken's uh, books and CD sets and the like are there for your review, or if you want to buy them, we have uh, easy access Amazon push buttons for you. And please let people know about what we're up to here at A Better World every single week, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. and occasionally at other times. We are talking about health and wellness and our personal psychologies to wit. And we're talking about the environment and how our really, what we're really always examining, folks, is what is the inner terrain, what I refer to as the inner ecology, as it expresses itself in the outer ecology. And in the world of economics, in the world of politics, in our social fabric, in our cultural and artistic lives. It's really interesting to be looking at all that goes on outside of us from the point of view of what it is that is cooking or brewing inside of us. And, you know, just this morning I was listening, as I so often do, to one of my heroes, Amy Goodman, on Democracy Now! and there was the discussion of the NSA and, uh, you know, and uh, Edward Snowden and all of this. And, you know, whether we need to be listening to every single phone call on the planet from every single person or not, all of this, my dear friends, is a function of what we were just talking about this past hour about the trust inside a relationship, the trust that exists inside a couple, inside a family. And when there is trust there, 
when there is a sense of security there, when there is an attachment of uh, between people that is loving, secure, and trustworthy, then you will not have even these questions about listening to other people's phone calls. It becomes moot. So we can either look at the effects of distrust out there with things called the NSA and the entire, you know, surveillance apparatus happening all over the world and the militaristic operations happening all over the world to deal with such things called terrorism and the like, or look at what is terrorism in the family. That is, very simply, the lack of love, the lack of trust, the lack of a sense of security, because as Dr. Stan Takin was just showing us, these are biologically mandated. Our brain, our nervous system is demanding a sense of safety and security. Otherwise, what happens? Well, we didn't talk about cortisol, but it goes through the roof. Anxiety levels go up. Um, we can't even reach alpha or theta states because we're in a high beta of alert in our brainwave activity. Do you understand? The, the edifice begins to crumble However, if we are strong and sense, uh, have a sense of security that we feel inside, that we perceive inside, then we will also begin to perceive it outside. Now, I'm not talking about the creation of a perfect world. I just said a better world. But in the direction of a more humane, affectionate, creative fun world, yes, we can take huge steps and all of the resources we are spending on uh, protection out there can be so well resolved when people learn to talk among themselves. You know, I love that phrase, you know, talk among yourselves, you know, when we actually do that, we have taken a step on a bridge of healing, of health, of establishing well-being between people, and communication is a key. We didn't really discuss that today as such, but it is an inherent part of the paradigm. So you see how all of the dots get connected here. They really are connected. And when we feel safe and secure inside ourselves, inside our closest relationships, family, coupledom, if there is that. But a lot of this can also happen inside oneself. And one does not have to be an island, to use Stan Tatkin's parlance. One can be a wave or even healthier, an anchor, and still have a great sense of autonomy, of sovereignty, of self-reliance, yet 
open to others of dancing and playing and laughing and loving, relating and go deep in relationship, committed, vulnerable. All of those aspects are indeed not only possible, they could be coming from a much healthier place instead of a place of resentment as in the wave, which could happen, or feeling that one is expending and not receiving, or an island who does not know how to apologize because their own sense of vulnerability is too great, or insecurity, while appearing to be ultra-secure. You with me? These are the domains, and we all experience this, these as human beings, and uh, Dr. Stan Tacken's work so nicely points this out. We will be having him back. We'll have on again uh, Dr. Rick Hansen, who we had on some time ago, uh, also talking about neuroscience, neurobiology, the interface of mind with body, in effect, psyche and soma. And we'll also be having Harville Hendricks on to talk about these delicate moments in relationship. And uh, personally, as a therapist for many, many years, uh, I appreciate the distinctions and the nuances several of our guests bring forward here for us all to reflect on the importance of relationship, the importance of trust and building security in a relationship and not focusing on pathology. We all know it's hovering. Oh, yes. What's new? And what matters is getting back on the horse and apologizing, forgiving, moving forward. And, of course, it needs to be done with intention and good cheer and goodwill. And then magic can happen, folks. Magic can happen. If we want there to be magic in our lives, if we really want our lives to be successful and effective, well, we can make that happen. We really can. And it's by marshalling these energies and these insights and these commitments in ways and orchestrating them toward a positive outcome. With that said, I just want to thank you all for joining us, reminding you also to have a very glorious, wonderful year. Uh, because of the collective psyche of people, there are uh, such things as uh, climate change before us, ever more powerful, uh, due to anthropogenic activity. Yes, that means man-made contributions to, yes, natural cycles, but accelerated, distorted, and, um, and harassed by human participation being as awkward and annoying to nature as it has been, I think, very obviously. So predictions are for this coming next 12-month cycle suggest that we are in for some very difficult climate times, and that makes for 
challenging economic times, and that has therefore an effect on different cultural and personal times. So all the more reason for us to find places of understanding, of compassion inside ourselves for each other, team together, coordinate actions as best possible, reorient values and priorities so that we can truly reduce our carbon footprint. It's way like Bigfoot right now. It's just way too big. It's so awkward. It's so irresponsible and immature. We need to bring all things into alignment, our human thoughts, our intentions, and our actions. And no amount of money, no amount of power or control could possibly be worth jeopardizing our lives, our neighbors' lives, or the future generations of our children's lives. It doesn't make sense. And it is up to us today to become truly sober and truly rational about it. There is much that is challenging us. Today's show helped to outline what is the basis of some of these challenges that get externalized and projected into the material world. But if we deal with them at home, quite literally, we can have lots of games and lots of sport and lots of competition on the sports field, not so much in the game of life by threatening each other instead of cooperating. So on that note, I want to welcome you all to a better world and to a new better world as best as we can coordinate and uh, remind you that we have a Facebook page. What is it? A Better World Media. Mitchell J. Rabin on Facebook. We have a Twitter. Well, it's all on the website. Get on to the newsletter, sign up. It's for free. It comes only once a week. It announces the weekly radio and TV shows aired here in Manhattan every Tuesday night at 1030 at this point here in beautiful downtown Manhattan. And I'm very glad that you are part of a Better World family. God bless you all. Thank you for being part of this family and community, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.